Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 29. I'm your host, Claudia Torres, and one half of the Judgy Crime Girls. Now don't worry guys, Andrea had to take some time off and she will be back. So don't worry. Today we're going to Austin, Texas, and we're going to be talking about Sarah McCulley and Lauren McCarty. And we're going to just jump right into this. Sharon McCulley had the day off from work on Monday, December 10th, 1984, and planned to get an early start on her Christmas shopping. Sharon, who preferred to be called Sarah, left the Austin, Texas home she shared with her husband, John, early that afternoon. She first drove to L.M. Folkswerk, where John was employed as a mechanic. She picked him up, and the two went to a local restaurant for lunch. She then drove him back to work. She dropped John off at around 1.40 p.m. He watched as she pulled her car out onto Howard Lane and headed in the direction of Interstate 35. He had no idea that he would never see his wife again. When John got home from work around 6.30 p.m. that evening, he was surprised to find the apartment empty. Even on the days when she worked, Sarah always got home before him. Although he was concerned, he knew that she had planned to get some shopping done and thought she was just running late. As the hours dragged on with no sign of her, his concern grew. It was totally out of character for Sarah to be out so late without at least calling him, and he worried that she might have been in a car accident. John spent the rest of the night calling Sarah's friends and family to see if anyone had heard from her, but no one had. He was praying there was some kind of logical explanation for her absence, but when daybreak arrived with no sign of Sarah, he was panic-stricken. He called the Austin Police Department and reported her missing. John told investigators that he had gone out to lunch with Sarah the previous afternoon, and she planned to go shopping afterwards. He noted that both Sarah and her car were missing, and she had been driving a 1965 Volkswagen Beetle. It was white with an orange hood. Seems pretty distinct to me. Police immediately sent out an alert for all patrol units to be on the lookout for both Sarah and her beetle, but there were no immediate results. Sarah, who worked for the IRS office on Interstate 35, was notably absent from her desk Tuesday morning. This was unheard of. She was a dependable employee who had never missed a shift prior to this. John and several of Sarah's friends spent their morning driving up and down the highway, searching in vain for any sign of her car. They traced all possible routes from John's work where she dropped him off to all the shopping centers in the area, then checked the parking lots of all the malls and shopping centers where Sarah might have stopped. They found no trace of the missing 25-year-old. Although Sarah was an adult, the Austin Police Department took her case seriously from the start. The news media was also quick to pick up on her disappearance, running an article about it 
the day after she was reported missing. They noted that there was nothing in Sarah's background that made her a likely candidate to run off voluntarily. She had a good marriage, and she had a really good job. Although investigators had not found anything to indicate foul play had taken place, Sarah's friends and family were convinced that something terrible had happened to her. Early Wednesday morning, police located Sarah's car. It had been abandoned at the Lanier Plaza Apartments, a complex located just five miles away from John's work. The car was unlocked, but the keys were not left inside. Once police obtained a spare key, they were able to start the car with no problem and determined it was in good running condition. It appeared that Sarah had not been forced to stop driving it due to any mechanical issues. There was nothing wrong with the car. There is no blood found in or around the car, and nothing was found to indicate that any sort of struggle had taken place. Although police were able to obtain a few partial fingerprints, there were of little use in advancing the investigation. Nothing in her car appeared to be out of place, and the only things that were missing were the keys and Sharon's purse. She was believed to be carrying around $170 in cash that day, money she had planned to use for her Christmas shopping. Detectives canvassed the apartment complex, hoping that one of the residents might have seen Sarah or anyone else who might have parked the car there. One resident told police that a woman matching the description of Sarah had gotten out of the car and went into one of the apartments. Investigators interviewed the residents of that apartment pointed out by the witness, but they had never heard of Sarah, and there was nothing to indicate that she had ever been in their apartment. It appeared to be a case of mistaken identity. Sarah's best friend, Allison Ply, told police that she didn't believe Sarah knew anyone who lived at that apartment complex, and she couldn't think of a reason why she might have gone there. Two witnesses came forward and told police that they had seen Sarah's car in the vicinity of Bee Cave Road after she had gone missing. Now, this was more than 20 miles away from where her car was found. Police, as well as John and some of Sarah's friends, conducted a search in the area where witnesses claimed to have seen her car, but found nothing relevant to the investigation. John was too distraught to return to work and took some time off so he could search for his wife. The two of them had met just five years earlier when they were both working at the Austin State Hospital. Once they learned that they shared a mutual love of camping and many other outdoor activities, they started dating. They got married on May 7, 1982, and friends and family reported that they seemed to get along great and there were no known problems in their marriage. They had recently purchased an empty lot in North Austin where they planned to build a home. 
Their plans also included building a large garage on the property so John could open his own mechanics shop. Despite the fact that their marriage appeared solid, as you know, spouses are always considered potential suspects in cases like this, and John was no exception. He was interrogated on several occasions by detectives and agreed to take a polygraph. John admitted that he found the questions he was asked to be a bit unsettling, as the examiner seemed to insinuate that he might have done something to harm Sarah. He passed a lie detector test with no problems and was ruled out as a suspect. Detectives admitted that the case had them baffled. They had no evidence at all to indicate what might have happened to Sarah. They were inclined to agree with Sarah's loved ones that she wouldn't, she wouldn't have taken off voluntarily, but they were unable to find anything pointing to foul play. Sarah had dropped John off at work and then simply vanished. In desperation, John decided to consult with a psychic. He took some of Sarah's clothing and jewelry to John Catchings, a noted Dallas psychic who had worked with police in the past and was credited with helping them find several bodies. The psychic agreed to meet with Austin police, and he told them that he believed Sarah was dead and had been buried in a shallow grave somewhere to the south of Lake Austin in West Travis County. A large-scale search of that area was conducted, but nothing was found. The week after Sarah's disappearance, 21-year-old Lauren McCarty also went missing in Austin. On December 17, 1984, Lauren left work at the Texas Municipal Training Center to run an errand at the post office and grab some lunch. When the young secretary didn't return, a co-worker called the police. There was some sense of urgency since just a week earlier, Sarah McCulley disappeared. No one could ignore two women vanishing into thin air while running errands within a week of each other. Police believed she had made it to the post office in downtown Austin, and after that, investigators followed two clues, placing her miles away in South Austin. Employees at Westgate Bowling Lanes saw a woman alone that matched Lauren's description the day she disappeared. Her checkbook was found on Westgate Boulevard, a street lined with just mostly single-family homes. The Austin Police Department, Department of Public Safety, Lauren's family, and a private investigator hired by the family conducted air and ground searches, honing in on the Westgate area. But only five days after her disappearance, the hope for Lauren was dashed. On December 22, 1984, the police officers spotted Lauren's 1980 Plymouth Horizon in the Westgate shopping center behind a jewelry store. When he approached the car, he saw blood dripping from underneath it. 
Lauren's body was inside the trunk. Her hands were tied with white twine, and she was only wearing the lavender t-shirt she was last seen in. Her jeans, purse, and any other personal effects were nowhere to be found. She'd been dead for several days, a tragic end to her short time in Austin. Just in October, two months earlier, she moved from Lubbock and planned to visit her family for the Christmas holidays. She was described as intelligent and a lover of poetry. The autopsy found Lauren had been raped, stabbed three times to the chest and neck, and bludgeoned with a rock or a pipe 14 times to the head. However, there was lack of evidence due to the killer's deliberate efforts to cover up evidence and hide Lauren's body. The latter meant that by the time her body was discovered, decomposition had started. Yet within weeks, they had a suspect. Police pegged Richard Allen Woods, 29 years old, for the crime. Woods had a history of mental illness, and he ran errands for the lawyer in Lawrence's office building. He had also been seen the day of Lawrence's disappearance with blood on his clothes and hands. Two witnesses came forward saying that he confessed to committing five felonies in one, and he felt physically ill about it. While he didn't confess what felonies he had committed, it definitely left a weird vibe. Police received a warrant to collect saliva, hair, and blood samples from him. But unfortunately, the evidence from the scene just wasn't enough. But Woods stayed on their radar. He was arrested on the March 8, 1985, beating, rape, and robbery of a sex worker. He took her to a motel, beat her, and then took his money back from her. Another sex worker reported the crime to the police. The arrest was short-lived, though, because the victim fled Austin due to an uptick in the policing of prostitution. Without the victim's story, Woods was once again free. But not for long. In 1986, he was convicted of sexual assault and sentenced to 15 years in prison. While serving that sentence, Woods confessed to the 1979 murder of Sidney Myers. It is not clear why, but his confession didn't fit the prosecutor's view of Sidney's murder, and Woods had to testify at a different suspect's trial. Different suspect of Sidney Myers' murder. He had to testify. Under oath, he swore he didn't kill Sidney and didn't recall the confession at all. Hair, saliva, and blood samples from Woods supported his denial. Woods did not kill Sidney Myers, but what about Laura McCarty? Austin PD Detective David Parkinson, the first officer on Lauren's case, kept in touch with Woods, you know, to keep tabs on him. At one point, they talked almost daily, and Parkinson's children would say, Hey, Dad, it's Richard, when Woods called. He even visited Woods 
at his South Austin apartment where he lived with his mother, and Woods wrote him letters from prison. There was never a confession. Nevertheless, Detective Parkinson held out on a feeling that Woods wanted to tell him about Lauren. And in the end, DNA did the talking. Technology caught up. In 1993, scientists found microscopic evidence from someone other than Lauren, but not enough to compare to Woods. Detective Paul Johnson, who was new to the case, kept at the lab regularly calling to see if they could do the DNA test yet. And finally, in 1998, the state of Texas purchased technology to analyze DNA from a minuscule amount of decay material, which was exactly what they had in Lauren's case. The tiny amounts of evidence from the crime scene 14 years earlier were now enough to compare to the samples taken from Woods. They came back as a match with a 1 in 16,000 chance the samples could match someone else. By 1998, Woods was out of prison back in Austin, only this time he was a registered sex offender. Instead of finding him at his halfway home, they found him in jail for aggravated robbery of a woman in Austin's Zilker Park. After playing cat and mouse with Perkinson all those years, Woods finally, finally confessed. In August 2000, Woods pleaded guilty to two felonies and the capital murder of Lauren Marie McCarty. While prosecutors sought the death penalty, the plea bargain set forth that Woods will serve three consecutive life sentences, enough to ensure he's never free again. Unfortunately for Sarah McCulley, she is still a missing person to this day, and there was never a connection between her case and Lauren's. However, I did find one odd tidbit relating to Lauren's death. When she was found, her hands were tied in front of her with a piece of white twine, remember? Upon learning of this, John McCulley said that he had used a similar white twine to hold down the hood on Sarah's car. He said that when Sarah's car was found, the twine was missing. John added that it wouldn't have just slipped off. It had to be removed intentionally. Now, I know they said there's no connection between Sarah and Lauren, but I don't know. I just thought that was odd. Believing that Sarah was dead, but uncertain if her body would ever be found, her family held a memorial service for her after she had been missing for a year. Her parents, John, and about a dozen close friends gathered on Mount Bonnell, 
where John and Sarah had gotten married in the sunrise ceremony three years earlier. They held a memorial service for her at sunset. Sarah has brown eyes and dark brown hair. She is 5 feet 5 inches tall and weighed 130 pounds at the time of her disappearance. She was last seen wearing a dark purple shirt, dark blue pants with white stripes, and red high-top sneakers with white accents. She has a tattoo of a red and yellow butterfly on her abdomen and normally wore contact lenses. If you have any information about Sarah, please contact the Austin Police Department at 512-974-5281. Thank you for listening today. If you have any case suggestions, please email us, judgycrimegirls at gmail.com. Until next week, stay judgy and stay sassy. Bye.